Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Seeing that God the Son became flesh, for the purpose of becoming the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. But the verse is telling us that God the Son became flesh so that we could behold the glory of God. We could behold the glory of God, which is the grace of God and the truth of God. And that's what this man did for Jacob in verse 24. When this man appeared, Jacob was able to behold God in his face face to face. This man was God in the flesh, as it says in 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of godliness? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. You know, Philip had this time when he was with the Lord Jesus Christ in which he asked the Lord Jesus Christ to please show him the Father. And the Lord responded to Philip in John 14, 9, when he said, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yes, hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? You know, when Jacob looked into the face of the man, Jacob saw God face to face. In this chapter, Jacob is going to ask this man what his name is. And in reply to that question, this man, who was Jehovah Jesus, could respond to Jacob with the same words as the Lord Jesus responded to Philip. Jacob, have I been all this night with you, <laughs> and yet thou hast not known me? What is the gospel? The gospel is a person. The gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ, who he was, what he did. The gospel is hid to some and it's interesting to see exactly what is hid when the gospel is hid. It's, descri- hid. it's described in 2 Corinthians 4.3. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ What's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, what's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ? It's the fact that Christ is the image of God. It's the fact that Christ is God in the flesh. It's the fact that when we look at the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God. 
it is that there was a man with Jacob, and this man was God in the flesh. This was the Lord Jesus Christ revealing God to Jacob, as it says in Hebrews 1.3 about the Lord Jesus, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He's the express image of God. So when we read in verse 24, there wrestled a man we, you, you can't just read that. You know, just wrestle the man. You just you, first you say, "What man? Who is this? A man?" Yeah. All of a sudden, no explanation. This man comes. He comes. We don't know anything about this man. It's just surprising to us. Uh, where else have we seen in Genesis a man just appear and left us with a whole lot of questions about this man? Where else? Who else? That's it. Melchizedek in Genesis fourteen where all of a sudden we're reading along and it says, and Melchizedek, like we're supposed to know him. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, here he is. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes or tents of all. See, all of a sudden, appeared this man, Melchizedek, who's called the king of Salem. What's Salem? Yeah. And we know nothing about this man, except that he brings bread and wine to Abraham, and he's the priest of the Most High God. And he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has. And, and, you know, and then he disappears, and we say, whoa, whoa, what happened here? We got a lot of questions, you know, which is brought out for us in Hebrews 7, 1. For this Melchizedek, it says in Hebrews 7, 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the king and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of part of all, first being by interpretation the king of righteousness, Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Then it says, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but like unto the Son of God, abideth priest forever. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Lots of questions for us surround Melchizedek. You know, who's his mother? Who's his father? What's his line of descent? When was he born? When did he die? No, we don't know. We don't know. It's just not told to us. We know nothing about those things. But what is important is what we do know. And what we do know about him is that he was greater than Abraham, and Abraham honored him by giving him a tenth of all he had, and he blessed Abraham. That's what we're, it's important. In the same way, we have a lot of questions about who this man is in Genesis 32. But what is important is what we know. He's the revealer of God to Jacob, and Jacob saw God in his face. That's what's important about this man. We never want to just read just, just verse 24, that there wrestled a man, and then just go on. and, and, and No, we've we got to sit and just let the surprise of it all grab us. This verse grabs us. You know, it should be a behold in front of it. Behold a man, as in, what a surprise. You know, it, it's, like, you know it's like the Bible saying, will you take a close look at this already? There is a man with Jacob. As a matter of fact, this chapter is a series of three beholds you know, behold a man, behold a man who wrestles, he wrestles, yeah? and behold a man who wrestles, who is God, he's God. So verse 24 is like, oh, the surprise of it all. Verse 24 is like, oh, the behold of it all. That's what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like, oh, the surprise of it all. Oh, the behold of it all. Just as with this man, there was this progression of the, oh, the behold of it all. You know, first behold is when we saw a baby through whom God would be with us. Behold, Emmanuel, you know, that, that makes us to be with God in Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the first behold. That's the first surprise. And the second, the next behold is when we saw Pilate and Pilate, he sees a man. Behold the man in John 19, 5. John 19, 5. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. The next behold is when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's more than just a man. He's more than a man, as we were just alluding to in John 1, 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and say, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Revelation 5, 6, the next behold. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Behold the lamb slain. Behold the blood of the lamb. Behold the blood of the lamb that makes a covenant with God. In Exodus 24, 8, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Behold of the blood that redeems. First Peter 1, 18 through 19. For as much as you have, as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. Behold the blood that redeems. Behold the blood that cleanses us from sin. In Revelation 7, 14, he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How's that work? Behold the blood of the Lamb that overcomes Satan. In Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony, they lived not their lives unto death. Behold the blood of the Lamb that brings us near to God. A verse that Tim quoted this morning in the, in the Breaking of Bread. In Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes, you were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Behold the blood of the Lamb that gives us boldness to come to God. In Hebrews 10.19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Behold the Lamb. He feeds us. He leads us. He comforts us in Revelation 7, 17. Revelation 7, 17. The lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them into living fountains of water. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Revelation 14, 4. Revelation 14, 4. These are they which are not defiled with women. They are virgins. And they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the lamb. And then, behold the marriage of the Lamb. In Revelation 21, 9, there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I'll show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. 
Revelation 19, 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. Revelation 19, 9, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb in the temple. He is the temple and he is the light. Revelation 21, 22, I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. All these things lead us to behold the Lamb's worshipped in Revelation 5.12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and blessing. Revelation 15.3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God, King of saints. In Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And in Revelation 6, 16, Behold, the wrath of the Lamb said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. In Revelation 14, 10, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. So there's all these beholds that we have about the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of beholds about this man. And the picture of Jacob in Genesis 32 is like, Jacob is just entered into this earnestness. There's an earnestness there about Jacob, earnest in prayer, and has turned into this wrestling struggle, which teaches us something about prayer. It's a struggle, something very strange, an unknown, unnamed stranger wrestling now with Jacob. Wrestled, that's used here, the Hebrew word abak, it comes from the word dust. It comes from the word dust. In Nahum 1.3, it says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and not at all quit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. That's where this word is coming from also. The picture is that in this wrestling it was just a lot of dust in the air was going on here. A lot of dust. And Jacob even asked the man's name, and the question goes unanswered, but it becomes obvious that who he was because of his blessing. But the word wrestled here does not have the meaning of attack. It's an earnestness here. You know, it's the word to kind of uh, to wrestle, to hold on to, you know, to adhere. It's like the story I told you last week about the doja fish you know, that dart themselves into the, re- the re- tofu to get cool. So let me ask you, you look at verse 24, and they wrestled Jacob with a man. Does the verse say, and they wrestle, um, what does it say? And they wrestled Jacob with the man, or does it say, and they wrestled the man with Jacob? Which one does it say? That's right. So it doesn't say, and they wrestled Jacob with the man. It says, and they wrestled the man with Jacob. There's a difference. There's a difference. Jacob was not wrestling with the man to get the man. Jacob was not wrestling with the man to get the man to stop holding him. The man was wrestling with Jacob because the man was trying to get away from Jacob. And this is brought out when the man says to Jacob in verse 26, let me go. Jacob clung to the man while the man was struggling to free himself from Jacob. And this was a really close body-to-body contact. This was a body-to-body struggling, as wrestling is. So the man first meets Jacob as a stranger, and then through clinging, Jacob knows he's God. He's the preserver of his life. 
So this nameless man, he comes to Jacob as if he's an enemy, and I don't know who's trying to free himself from the grasp, but in his confidence, in this confidence, I mean, Jacob is good at wrestling. He's already wrestled. He starts out his life wrestling. He's He's grabbed the heel of his brother. And then he wrestles with Esau, then he wrestles with Laban, and he's always wrestling. But there's a comment on what happened here this night, very important, in Hosea 12.4. Hosea 12.4 makes a comment about this night. When it says in Hosea 12.4, yea, speaking about Jacob, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Think about that. Jacob had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept. He made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Speak with us. Now, Jacob's wrestling consisted mainly of weeping and pleading. So if you were to look at this scene, you were a bystander, you'd hear weeping, you'd see tears, and you'd see a lot of dust. Prayers and tears are Jacob's weapons. The spiritual seed of Jacob will cling to the Lord Jesus Christ with tears and prayers. And Jacob had power by weeping and making supplication. And this was the same angel, as Hosea tells us, that previously had found Jacob and Bethel. Now, this was not just a little wrestling match. This was a prolonged wrestling that went on all night long. This is what it says, until the breaking of the day. You know, whenever I read those words in verse 24, there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. That part about the breaking of the day it always reminds me, I've told you this before, it always reminds me about the time when Russ Plowman was working for Caltrans on a road in El Centro in the summer. And he told me, because I was just starting Scanabizes back in the 70s, and we didn't have any goats, so we rented goats. We had a rent-a-goat program. <laughs> Only we didn't have the goats, we rented other people's goats. Anyway, he told me about a rancher there who had about a hundred tiny little shrub goats, but don't underestimate them, man. Don't, don't underestimate them. I used to call them little demons. Anyway, in pens, and he had made these pens out of pallets and even put a pallet roof over them, and, and they were along the side of the road. And Russ says, you could probably use them for scantibodies. And so, you know, Russ told me, he said, look, I got to go work on this road down there in El Centro, so I rent this hotel room, and I'm out by, you know, 8, and, you know, checkout time's like 10.30. You can use it to wash up in the morning. So I went to the rancher. I found him. I said, hey, can I rent your goats? I said, you know, make antibodies. We got to immunize them, and then I'll come back and collect antiserum. He said, sure. So since it was over 100 degrees in El Centro during the day, I arranged to immunize these goats at night. And I came back. I was going to go alone. I told Pastor Jim I was going to do. And he said, I'll go with you to help you. I thought, well, that's nice. And so these goats were unbelievably wild. And when Pastor Jim and I got in the pen, you know, we'd jump in this uh, pallet, pen made out of pallet and bailing wire. And all these goats would just rush to the other side. And they would eye us with these wild eyes. And then we would plunge into these goats. I don't know if you can get this picture or not. And we'd grab one. And we struggled as they practically wrenched our wrists off there. Struggle, he struggled to get loose. We'd throw them down on the ground. And then I would take one of the 120 syringes that I had with the emulsion and inject them 20 times into his skin, intradermally, right into the skin. Not under his skin, in the skin. And then I mark him with a paint stick. Of course, I'm sure I immunized myself. I know I immunized myself many times too. I, I probably have really great antibodies now. Anyway, so we're going to repeat this process. And too many times, you know, we, we would jump in and grab a goat and find out he was already marked. So that's why it went from midnight till six in the morning. 
And I told you about this. About three in the morning, that's when Pastor Jim made this great proclamation when he says, now I know why the Lord's going to say to the goats on his left hand, depart from me and be cast into hell. (laughs) But I remember how we finished at 6 a.m., and it was the breaking of the day. That was almost 40 years ago. I'll never forget that thought in the morning when the sun rose up. We've wrestled with these goats all night long till the breaking of the day. For Jacob... This was a night of wrestling all night long until the breaking of the day. And then we read, now we go on and read in verse 25, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. In verse 25, when it says, when he saw that he prevailed not, who is he? I have to ask you a question. Who is the one who saw that he prevailed not? That's right. The man, Jesus, the God, the man who is God. The man who is God saw that he prevailed not against Jacob. I'm sorry, I can't get over that. I can't get over that. What? God prevailed not? How could God prevail not? What does this mean that the almighty God could not prevail against puny Jacob, who's like in his 90s? What does this mean? God was in an all-night wrestling match with Jacob. That match went on till the dawn, and all through the night, God couldn't prevail. What, it wasn't enough time? Can't get over it. I mean, uh, God who created Jacob out of the dust of the ground, God who with words of his mouth, he puts trillions of stars in the perfect place in the universe. We read this morning the breaking of the bread, Revelation, God, the Lord Jesus, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, all he has to do is look at something and reduce it to ashes. This almighty God, with all his power, could not prevail against Jacob. Why not? This is unbelievable. Why not? Because God chose to condescend and humble himself to the position of not being able to prevail against Jacob. Clearly, This was God's choice to condescend to the level of not being able to prevail against Jacob in this wrestling match. This raises an astounding question of exactly who is God? When you read something like that, you say, is this who God is? I thought God was the Almighty One who has all power and authority. And Does God choose to condescend to the point where he cannot prevail against a man? Does God choose to condescend to this level to become a man that he can't prevail against a 90-year-old man in a wrestling match? Does God choose to condescend like that? Yes. The astounding truth is that that's who the Almighty God is. Yes, the Almighty God chose to condescend. Yes, the Almighty God who chose to condescend to not be able to prevail against Jacob in verse 25 also chose to condescend to the place of inviting man to reason with him in Isaiah 118 when he said, come now, Isaiah 118, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. Yes, the Almighty God who chose to condescend to not being able to prevail against Jacob in verse 25 also chose to become the king of Israel and to ride into the capital, the city, Jerusalem, on a baby donkey.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.